Good morning. Welcome. Glad to have you in-house. And if you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're joining us. Um, I don't know who they're getting to do the 7 o'clock service. That just seems fairly early to me. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's me. <laughs> well, there you go, right? So it'll be a full morning, right? Um, we'll dress warmly. If it was like this morning, we'll dress a little warmer. But uh, uh, if you'd like, we've never done this uh, since I've been here. We've never done an outside Easter service. So if you want to be the first to join me out there in the field next week, uh, I invite you to do that. <laughs> we should have a ball. Anyway, I want to ask you a question. There's this word Christian that we throw around, and it's kind of this, it's this big container that has all these ideas in it. And we talk about a true Christian. We kind of narrows it a little bit. But the question is, what does it mean to be fully committed to Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be that kind of Christian? Is it a political view? Is it a, is it a theological view? What, what does it mean? We're going to look at a story today. And, and let me ask you another question. Can you be 10% in or 50% in or 90% in in your commitment level? Is, and can you still do that and be a, fully, uh, be a follower of Jesus Christ? I mean, is there a percentage going on here? And then what we want to do is we want to look at uh, a, a woman, uh, Mary, who is going to anoint Jesus with her, with her feet, her hair. And he's, she's going to wash his feet with her hair with this really expensive perfume. And we're going to see what it looks like to be fully committed to Jesus Christ. Because when you look at what she does, you go, okay, now I think I'm starting to understand what it means to be a full-on full follower of Jesus. And it might be different than what you think. So let's jump into the passage that uh, Dave mentioned. We are in the Gospel of John. John chapter 12. And let me just read the first. I'm going to read like the first eight verses. And then we'll talk about it. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Mary served while Lazarus was among the, those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took uh, uh, about uh, a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped her feet with her, his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who, was later, who later betrayed Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as a keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It is intended that she should save the perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So who are the characters in this? Well, we have Mary and Martha. Remember the sisters? And we've seen them before from time to time. We have uh, Lazarus, who the chapter before Jesus raised from the dead, and he's there kind of as a special guest. You know, here he is. It's true, he's alive. And then you have, it's mentioned Judas, and Judas is there, and the rest of the disciples are there. So this is all kind of going on. So this is part of the crowd that's happening here, okay? And uh, so what did Mary do? What did Mary do? So we read about it, but let's just, and this is in all the Gospels, and there's kind of, scholars believe there might be two different accounts of this, 
And so we get information from the different accounts as to what might have happened here. But let's look at what happened. So she anoints Jesus with this costly perfume called nard. And in Mark's account, it seems as though this was kept in a storage box. And that, that it was very valuable. In fact, it was so valuable, it was like the treasure of the family. It was like everything that the family had or everything that Mary had. It was the most valuable thing that she had in her life. This is really what it, it was meant to represent and what it was. So it was this perfume. And she doesn't take a little out and dab Jesus. She probably anoints him from head to feet. She, she anoints him you know, fully. Um, and essentially what she's saying, I think, by her act is this. She's saying, I'm not just going to give you 10%. I'm not going to give you 50%. I'm not even going to give you 90%. I'm going to give you everything, everything that I have. And she breaks the box. She, she anoints him probably from head to feet. And then she basically bows before him. And that's the second thing we see. She takes the position of a servant. And she is at his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. It's the position of a servant. And even servants in that day weren't required to wash feet. So it was lower than even what servants did in that day. But it was a it was a place of humility. It was a place of brokenness. It was a place of saying, I am absolutely at your command, at your feet. The last thing she does is she lets her hair down. And in that day, that was a real, that was kind of a, uh, you, women never did that in public. They never let their hair down in public. And it was, I believe what she was doing was she was becoming completely vulnerable before Jesus. I think she was saying to Jesus, I can't be any more in for you than I am right now. And so she takes this position. She's making an unabashed statement of support and allegiance to Jesus. When the others around her, including his disciples, begin to criticize her. It's amazing. It's an amazing passage. Now, the disciples hadn't learned this lesson of serving. In fact, in the next chapter, if you read the next chapter of John, John chapter 13, Jesus gets up in the middle of the meal, he gets down, and he begins to wash their feet. And, and Peter throws his little fit, and he says, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you have no place in my kingdom. And Peter says, well, that case, give me a bath. <laughs> Jesus says, no, you don't need a bath. Just need to wash your feet. The point isn't washing. The point is showing the servant. And he basically gets up. He says, you see what I've done? That's what you should do. Now, the disciples aren't getting that. They have Mary's illustration. It takes Jesus' illustration. They're starting to get it. If you could interview Mary, she might say, you know, why'd you do it? She might say something like this. It's the least I could do for him. It's the least I could do for him. Now, just a side note, it's very interesting because every time we see Mary, she's at his feet. First time in uh, Luke chapter 10, um, 
Jesus is teaching at a home. And Mary is, and this is where Mary and Martha kind of, you know, tell, you know, tell Mary to help me, Martha's saying. And Jesus, well, he's, she's chosen the better things, and she's at his feet while he's teaching. Um, when her brother is dead in the tomb, and first Martha comes out and says, Lord, if you had been here, you know, we'll look at, we're going to look at that passage next weekend. He said, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And then, you know, then, then, then Mary comes out. She says essentially the same thing. And, Jesus, and then it says that Jesus, she fell at his feet. And here's the third time, again, falling at Jesus. She's always at his feet, always at his feet. It's a very interesting picture. So what was the response of Judas? Well, Judas and the other disciples, and, and by the way, you have to go to the other gospels to get the other disciples, because it wasn't just Judas. The, the others were kind of chiming in, but Judas was the ringleader, and Judas kind of chirps up, and he says, you know, what a waste. What a horrible waste. All of that, 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 that incredible wealth could have been, that could have been sold. We could have sold that. We could have taken that money in, and we really could have done some good things for some poor people. I absolutely know some families who could have benefited from this, but now it's too late. It's all been wasted. What a terrible act that has been done right before us. What a horrible thing. And the rest began to chime in. And if you read Mark's gospel, they are literally tearing Mary apart. They're so negative. They're absolutely negative. Now, you see how vulnerable. Mary has given Jesus the most valuable thing she has. She's taken the place of a servant. She has let her hair down. She's become completely vulnerable. And what does she get for it? Criticism. Conflict. But look at who's questioning her. Who's offended by it? Who's judging her? Religious people. That's what religious people do. That's what religion does. Religion basically says, you don't behave like you should. Doesn't care about where the heart is. Doesn't care. It just judges the action based upon the action. Doesn't look below. Judas was a thief. He was a, he was a cheater and he was a, he was a uh, traitor. It says that he had a habit and he would take money from the treasury, from the money that they had gathered together for the ministry and for the traveling expenses. He had taken it out and spent it on himself. In fact, he's about ready to go, and in the next chapter you'll see it. He's going to leave the meal, and he's going to go, and he's going to seal the deal with the religious leaders, and he's going to take more money to betray Jesus. So he was not looking up for the poor. He didn't care about the poor, but that's what religion is. Religion has this facade, this, this surface that looks so good and so perfect, and so right. But then when you look between below the surface, you see it's just nothing but rot. That's why Jesus, when he, when he had these strong words for the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, you're whitewashed tombs. In other words, the tombstone is all white and clean and beautiful, but underneath it's just rot. There's nothing really happening there. And that's what's going on in, in the life of Judas. If you could interview Judas, what would he say? What a waste. Mary would say, there, there, it's the least I could do. Judas would say, what a waste. Let me ask you a question. Is it possible to think you're in when you're not? Is it possible to think you're in when you're not? 
I want to read you one I, what I think is one of the most terrifying, disturbing passages in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew chapter 7. It says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then he says this, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not, in your name did we not drive out demons? In your name did we not perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. These people are so deluded, they think they're in when they're not. They have traded relationship with religion. They, they think that following rules and regulations is the same as having a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's not. But here's what Jesus is teaching us. He, he's teaching us that unless you're all in, you're not in at all. There's no percentage here. He, he, doesn't play, he doesn't say, well, you know, I'll take 10% if you can give me that. No, he basically, Jesus is very clear. He says Let, to one person, he says, come follow me. And he says, well, my father died. Let the dead bury the dead. <laughs> he's pretty clear about this. You're either all in or you're not in at all. There's no, there, there's, that's the dividing line. Look at what he says. This is Luke chapter 9. He says, then he said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants, will lose, loses their life uh, for me will save it. It, it, it. Here's the thing. You have to understand, because we live in a culture that says, all you need to do is pray a prayer to receive Jesus as your Savior, and you'll go to heaven. And most people, unfortunately, take that to mean, I just pray to receive Jesus, or believe in Jesus, or believe in God, some idea, with, and then, Jesus, I'll see you in heaven. But I'm going to live like hell in between, or really live for myself in between. But what Jesus says is, you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? That means that you have to, you have to make that decision. You have to cross that line of faith. And, and there has to be this transformation. But if there is that transformation, it'll show up because you will choose to daily follow Jesus. You know, moment by moment. What do some of those decisions look like? They look like this, that instead of denying Jesus, you stand up and say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It looks like this, that this person who doesn't love Jesus, and you do, you decide you don't marry that person. But I love them. Yeah, but they don't love Jesus. That's where the rubber meets the road. I mean, th this is what we're talking about. See, following Jesus is just not a one-time act. It's a daily act. All right, so let's just talk about this. What distinguishes a true follower of Jesus? What, what is it that, what are some characteristics that we can learn from Mary that show us what a true follower of Jesus, what it should look like, right? Because that, that's what we want, right? What are the practical things? Here's the first thing. You'll find your personal identity in Jesus. In other words, you're not ashamed to identify with Jesus Christ, even at your own personal cost. No, Mary didn't seem to care what the people around her thought. She didn't care what the disciples thought. She didn't care what her sister or brother thought. She didn't care what anyone thought except for one person, that was Jesus. That's all she cared about. She only cared what Jesus thought. 
I've said this over and over. It's not, new, it's not original with me. But I just say, one of, the, one of the things, I like to have things simple. And one of the things we often have to ask ourselves, we have to just say, play to an audience of one. But here's the thing. When you please Jesus, you're not going to please the people around you because what Mary did was pleasing to Jesus. In fact, he defends her. And he says, what she's done is prepare me for my burial. Now, I don't think Mary understood all of that, the implications. But Jesus put that on, on her act. And basically, we're talking about Mary today. We're holding her up as an example to follow. Because she stood out from the crowd. You know, I don't play poker anymore. Don't go to the casinos anymore. No, I never did. That's supposed to be a joke. Some, some of you are going, well, I didn't know he went to the casinos. I guess we got a problem. <laughs> have to fix that one. Get the elders together. Let's have a meeting. <laughs> but I know this as I played with friends and stuff like that, that there's a thing you can do in poker when you have a good hand. You go all in, right? I'm all in. That's what Mary was doing with Jesus. She was saying, I'm not 10% in. I'm not 50% in. I'm not 90%. In. I'm all in. Jesus, I'm all in with you. I'm holding nothing back. And she was willing to take the criticism that she got. She didn't, but here's the thing. She didn't care what everyone else thought because she knew what Jesus thought. Right? Do you care what Jesus thinks more than what everyone else thinks? That's kind of what it comes down to. Mary was very public wild and costly anointing Jesus. She was all in for Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I, I truly believe this is going to happen. I believe as our culture changes and we have this, this new culture that's happening, this cancel culture and all that stuff, that what you believe and who you believe in and who you stand up for is going to come back and you're going to have, it, it, you, you can't hide in the shadows anymore. You're go there are going to be a day where you're going to be confronted about whether you're truly a follower of Jesus. You follow Jesus, and he did, and the Bible teaches, and what's wrong with you? Why, why do you hate people? And, and, and you're, all these things are going to come up, and you say, man, I just don't want to deal with all that, so I'm just going to hide. No, those days of hiding are over. You know, what Mary did was very bold. She stood up in, in the middle of a group of people, and she did things that were offensive to the religious people around her, the cancel culture around her. And she said, I don't really care what you think. I'm not trying to be belligerent. I'm not trying to be obnoxious. But I will not, I will not give up my commitment to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I publicly acknowledge him. I think it's going to be harder and harder. And by the way, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, disciples don't hide. At least they shouldn't. I mean, do we, do we affirm the disciples when Jesus is being crucified and they scattered like mice? We go, Ugh. I think many of us would go, well, I would never do that. 
Oh, yes, you would. You lie so bad. Absolutely, you would do that. And I would do the same thing. I would have run. I would have been in line. I would have been pushing people to get out of the way. If we're honest, that's who we are, right? Here's the second thing. If you're truly a follower of Jesus, you fill all your needs through Jesus. You're willing to give up everything because Jesus has given up so much for you. And that's the thing. When you see him hanging on a cross, when you see him giving his life for you, when you see him being the sacrifice that you desperately need because you're a sinner and you're lost and you need a Savior, and he's your only hope, the rescue party of one who came from heaven to earth to save you, to live the life you should have lived, to die the death you should have died. When you see all of that and you say, why would God come to earth and die on a cross for me to take my sin and to take the punishment I deserve? Why would God do that? But he did, and Jesus did that for you and for me. Here's the, here's the deal. Until we, come to the, until we deal with the issue of ownership in our life, we're going to be a slave to materialism. And many people, have we've bought into what our culture says. Our culture says, if you have more, you will be happy. Uh, better, more relationships, more money, more, you know, better house, better car. Uh, if you have more, you'll be happy. This whole materialism. But here's the thing. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't bring that. Uh, look at what Jesus says. This is Matthew uh, chapter 13. It's kind of one of these odd verses. I think it's very interesting. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And he has another little parable. These two parables are like right next to each other. The first one, he's, he finds a field and he finds a treasure in this field. And he, he, he goes and he tries to save all that he has so that he can buy this field and get the treasure. And then it's this pearl of great price that this guy that knows pearls comes across this pearl and he goes, oh man. And he sells everything he has so he could have it. And you go, what in the world is he talking about? Our society and our culture says, you know, go for this pearl, go for this pearl. Relationships, go for success, go for power, go for pleasure, go for freedom. That's the pearl that brings joy and happiness and purpose and meaning and satisfaction in life. And, and what this, these parables are saying, no, there's only one great pearl. And all those things will bring a semblance of all of the good things, but they will always let you down. They will always fail you. Even the best relationships will fail you. See, there's only one pearl of great value, and it's not money, it's not accomplishment, power, relationships, personal freedom. It only comes from following and serving Jesus. Mary got that. She basically said, I'm all in. Here's the third thing. You discover your ultimate purpose in serving Jesus here's, again, this is really pushing back on our culture. Our culture basically says the best way to live in this world and in our culture is to have many people serving you, have many people giving you accolades, many people affirming you. Uh, when you have people affirming you, serving you, you know, saying, you know, that a boy and all that stuff, then your life will be great. But what does Jesus say? Uh, the key verse of the whole gospel of Mark is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples in chapter 13 was this. And, and it's interesting. He, you know, there's this power grab, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, you know, among his disciples. And they got into this argument. Maybe the moms got involved too. Well, my son's pretty good too. You know, got into all of this stuff. And Jesus hears all this and he pulls him aside. and He says, I know the Gentiles go after this power grab thing. But then he says, not so with you. It's not about grabbing power. It's about serving Jesus and others. So what are the behavior habits that expose fake followers? And maybe you should ask yourself, is that, is that ring true with me? I mean, only God knows your heart. You practice religion without relationship. I grew up in a world that basically was involved with religion. We went to church, we prayed certain prayers at certain times, at certain places, with certain people. We followed, during this period of time, the, the approved services that we went to. And we'll have more people at Easter than we have at every service. It just happens that way. And so we're culturally conditioned. There are certain times that... You know, you can, you can go to church in July, and that's good, but when you go on Easter, yeah, you know, really, you know, ding, 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 you know, you get, you know, you know, you got the, but here's the thing, we get into this whole religion thing, I was raised in this, but then somebody said, talk to me about your relationship with Jesus, and I go, what? <laughs> I believe in him. Good, so do the devils. <laughs> There's a difference, right? There's many around you, maybe it's you, playing the role of Christian very well. They play the role so well that they could fool you. I mean, look at the verse that we read from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, many will come to me on that day. Not some, not a few, not just one or two, but many will come to me on that day. Lord, we, play, we played religion to a T. They did it so much they were deluded. They thought they were in when they weren't. And Jesus I don't have a relationship with you. I don't know you. There's a, di a huge difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There's a huge difference from practicing religion and having a relationship. You know of some marriages where people, the, the two, the husband and the wife, are just going through the motion. They're married, but they don't have a relationship. Legally, they're married. They're, they're, their finances are tied together. They may have kids, and they're in this marriage, but there's no relationship. Sadly, some people have said that's what it means to be a Christian. It's interesting to me that in this passage, the disciples are fooled by Judas. I mean, come on, he's watching the money. I mean, if you had an organization and you had money that was coming in all the time, who would you, who would you get to, to take care of that and manage that? Somebody very trustworthy. Somebody that you would say, I know I can trust that person. That was Judas. Now, we have this, 
we look back because we know how it all played out. We go, oh, what a dirty, you know, what a traitor. Why couldn't they see that? I would have figured, no, you wouldn't have. You would have said, Judas, what a great guy. What a trustworthy guy. I trust him with my life. Secondly, you, tr- you treat Jesus as a cosmic vending machine. Let me ask you a question. Do you follow Jesus just for what he can do for you? I mean, so often, and by the way, this will really come out not when life is going well, but when, when the bottom comes out of your life. When you, when you are faced with a crisis, your, your faith becomes real, real quick. You, you'll say things like, Jesus, why would you allow this to happen? I've been so honest. I've gone to church. I believe in you. I've served you. I gave money to the church. I've done all these good. What are you doing there? You're bargaining with him. You're, you're, you're saying, I, I did this. Now you are required to do this. I put my money in the machine. Now give me what I want. I think too many Christians view God and their relationship with Jesus that way. Third thing, you bail the first sign of trouble and persecution. You know, it's one thing to follow Jesus when it's popular and it's hip and everybody's doing it. It's another thing to follow Jesus when there's a cancel culture. There's another, it's another thing when it's not popular. It's another thing when you might lose your job. It's another thing when you have to make hard decisions about who you're going to marry. It's another thing when yeah, it, you know, people, your friends, no longer are your friends because you're weird. Not because you've changed, but because they just don't get you anymore. And it may be your family. They think you're nuts. Now, they're very religious, and they go to church, but they think you're nuts. That's, that, and, and those days are going to get harder because if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not going to be able to hide. You're going to have to stand up, and you're going to have to say, I'm unabashedly a follower of Jesus Christ. I am. L- look at what, uh, what, what uh, Paul says to Timothy. So, uh, Mary gives everything she has, and she took the heat head on. And Paul says to young Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they might be persecuted. It's possible. It's likely. It, I don't want to say it will happen, but it might happen. There's a 10%. No, it says, <laughs> if you live a godly life in Jesus, you will be persecuted. Unless you're hiding. And if you're a disciple, why are you hiding? Let me close with this. We see Mary pouring everything that she has. She pours it all out at the feet of Jesus. You know what Jesus does on the cross? He pours it all out, his whole life out for you and for me. Uh, Let me read Psalm 22. It says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? I am poured out like water. 
I am poured out like water for you and for me, for those in-house, those watching online. Jesus came to die for you and for me. Jesus is absolutely all in for you. I mean, can you go much further than giving your life? The question is, are you all in for him? Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the encouragement we get. Help us to step out, to be bold, to be generous, to not care what others think, but care what you think, to be like Mary. Help us to understand that when Mary, if she could have been interviewed, she'd say, it's the least I could do. And we might finish her statement with, because of all he's done for me. Help us to just in the next week meditate on all that Jesus has done for us. And may it make a difference as we get up every day and we choose to follow him. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.